Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. All right, we're back again and glad to be back. Episode 39, and we're, we're getting closer and closer to that 50 mark. That's amazing that we've been able to get as far as we have so far this year. Uh, we're glad that we can continue to do this on a weekly basis thus far. Uh, today I'm with Dr. Eric Prosco, Dr. Tim Brenneman, Dr. Mark Abney, Dr. Wes Porter, and Dr. Glenn Harris, along with myself. And... We've got quite a bit of stuff going on. Uh, from my perspective, I think the weather is probably playing the biggest role right this minute because we have we have kind of turned this thing over um, pretty quick. I mean, in the last two weeks, we've gone from being pretty and green all over the state to the dryland crop now looking as bad as I've ever seen it look. Um, even in previous years, we're we're getting to a point now that well, one, I was in the Southwest, I've already seen some peanuts that have turned black. And, uh, you know, basically went backwards and, and I'm not so sure where rainfall is going to bring them back, but we'll see. Um, that's not to say we're we're not going to have uh, some rain here in the near future and, and that turn it around. But Wes, you're here. What um, what are you seeing with our our uh, irrigated crop out there? Are we, are we able to keep up at this point? Yeah, so that's that's a good question. We're able to keep up, and probably if you did a decent job managing as we moved out of that, uh, that kind of wet, cooler period, and we got hot late June. We talked about that, and we were up and down in July. Every time I came on the podcast in July and talked, the weather did the opposite the week after. I even a consultant told me that the other day. They thought it was hilarious. I came on, had to come back, and that's fine. I'm good with that. If I tell you right now, it looks like you know, long term. We're, um, we got a one rain predicted next week that I have maybe a little faith in. And then uh, after that, it looks like we're cooling off, but no rain predicted. Be nice if we could catch some showers because back to your question, Scott, if we uh, we started falling behind as we got through mid to, uh, mid to late July and then through early August, it is now hard to keep up. We've got sensors out across over probably 70% of our um, lower counties in a mix of cotton peanut uh, fields right now. And that's a big question I keep getting from a lot of guys is, hey, I irrigated these, but the sensor didn't respond. So we're, we're that means we're dry, we're dried out, we're not getting that water down to eight inch depth. And so we're kind of at that point that we're starting to see the water use down eight, 12. Some cases we're not seeing it very deep because we talked about that early season. We just didn't get roots down as deep this year. So some people got too comfortable, I think, and said, well, I'm not using my deep moisture. I'm going to kind of hold off, hold off. And then now we're seeing almost no response from our irrigation events just because it is so dry out there. And I don't know if you monitor when you look midday around noon to two or three o'clock or that afternoon. And some people may argue with me, but our humidity drops to, has been dropping over the past week or two down into like the 40 percent, 50 percent range. If we're sitting in that range, range and we put a half inch irrigation on i mean honestly we're probably lucky if we're getting four tenths down to the soil surface and after that of that four tenths how much is that actually going to make it down to the four inch depth and none of us gonna make it to the eight inch depth we think about what four tenths of an inch of irrigation does for us we got to think back i don't know the last time now it's been about seven days well probably more than that it's been uh, 14, 15 days or somewhere in between since we've got an appreciable rain shower in our area. And then our temperatures have been very hot this week. They were hot last week. Um, 
And the hottest is still to come. And the hottest, you know. Today and tomorrow, right? Yeah, today, tomorrow, and even there for Sunday. The nice thing is I've been checking there for earlier this week. They were predicting over 100 at this weekend around south central Georgia. But now um, they've dropped back that back that off to 98. 90, I'll take 98 over 102. But <laughs> the same thing, right? Uh, don't, don't. Definitely don't fall behind this weekend. And, you know, I know we're also getting to the point of some of our water use is starting to decline. You know, we're um, I don't know what our average DAP is on peanuts right now, but I know that we're past 110 days at most of our on, should a, be. on a good bit of the early stuff. And, and I've been telling people not to back off. Yeah. Not with this heat the way it is and as dry as we are not to back off, at least right. until we get more like 130 days now yeah. before we pull off uh, because that's, I'm just afraid of what's going to happen. I can tell you, because Mark rated for me yesterday. We planted May 8th, and he rated them yesterday. So they were 109 days okay. yesterday. Yeah. 109 days. That's what okay. I thought. We just switched treatment thresholds on mine. It's tripling, and we that's 110. So we planted just a couple of days before you. We switched earlier this week. Um, I can't remember my planting day, but it was like right early May. So I know we're right at 110. And like I said, water use is starting to decline, but Scott's exactly right. It doesn't matter water use is declining. Let's go back to my statement about two minutes ago. Our soil surface is really dry. Um, we hopefully have fully lap coverage, which is help keeping those soil temperatures down a little bit compared to bare soil. Again, the same time, those half inch, six tenths, even a lot of guys have capacities. They can't get above three tenths of an inch at a time. Where there's just not effective getting down deep right, right. now when we're dry like this. And so it's almost at the scenario that we should be doing bounce backs on pivots if they don't make a full circle or almost making full rounds after rounds if you have that capability and they're not tied to having them switch to other systems. Um, just to talk about what the weather did, I've heard of a lot of corn being, uh, being pulled around the state and cut and we got... Uh, I saw some data yesterday of a dry land field of 220. I've heard some 180s, 200s. So we were really good, cool, wet early season, which is phenomenal for our corn growth. But it has not helped us that we've went from that weather to extremely hot and dry at the end of the season and peak water use for our other crops. So, again, like Scott said, don't back off right now. Don't get comfortable with it. I know I just checked in Tifton. We got an 80% chance of rain on Tuesday now. Right before we turn this on, Mark Abney mentioned we got rain next week, but guess what? A couple of days ago, I think it was like maybe starting Sunday. Then all of a sudden it was Monday. It was a high chance. Now they've moved it to Tuesday. And you look after Tuesday, the chances drop to 40% or below the rest of the week. So we'll see what happens with that predicted rain in another day or two. And that may change too, because now we actually do have a low that is forming down there. Yes. The the cone is coming to us. Mm -hmm. And so that that's going to be – an interesting thing I said we'd know more by the end of the weekend. So yeah, yep. keep it on. Um, that's that's one that is that in the Gulf or the Atlantic. It's right on the Yucatan Peninsula. That's where it's coming off of, and it's coming straight up. You know, to us this time because of the way that high I reckon has moved over, and it's like, it's going to allow this one to come up to us this time right now. Um, you know, and, and talking about all the rain early, that's why I think that's why we're having such a, a quick turnaround on this dry land crop is because our roots were just not as deep as they normally are or, you know, in the past because of all the ample moisture they had up front. So that's something we're going to have to deal with. And we, we talked, uh, you know, quite a bit over the last several days being at some of these pre, pre-harvest meetings about what to think about, you know, as we go forward. And, you know, I mean, just getting to maturity. I mean, Mark, are you seeing more still more foliage or are you having more problems with 
Um, <laughs> other worms, or, or, or we have any spider mites come out? Have you heard of anything now with as dry as it is? So I got a call earlier this week. Somebody was spraying mites down in southwest Georgia, um, but not anything widespread. I don't know. You know, we do need to be careful if we get – you know, with the forecast, if we were to look out and get the rain that they're calling for next week, it probably it would be it would be good for a lot of reasons. But um, I have not heard a lot about spider mites, and the reality is, is usually I don't until it gets so bad that we've got a real problem. Right? Most people don't see them until they're turning the peanuts color. And the thing is, is spider mites generally uh, occur when it's dry, right? So peanuts start to wilt. <clears throat> Growers riding by on the truck saying, "Well, those peanuts are wilting down." And that's what, oh, I just thought they were dry by the time. Then they said, man, that's more than dry. Those peanuts like they're dying. Well, that's what and I saw out there. The field, up yeah. mites, right? And so yeah. it's, it, it behooves us to go out and look at some of these dry <laughs> spots, especially on corners, especially next to tree. For some reason, pecan trees, I don't think. Who spotted spider mite? Tim's not really a big deal in pecan. Is it a different mite or is it in pecan? But I see them around pecan trees a lot where they'll start. Apparently, right near the tree, and, right, and I don't right. know why, but maybe they're coming out. Maybe it's something that somebody they're doing with the tree. I don't have any idea. And so, I'm, I'm just but, as guilty as the growers going by the truck. I mean, I, the ones I saw have already turned black. Yeah. I would all, you know, when we were going by, I said, "Man, those look like they got mites in them." Yeah. But I, I was busy trying to get to another place, and I couldn't stop. Yeah. Or at least I didn't stop. I put it that way. I should have. But, um, but no, there's a lot of that. I mean, when this thing turns so quick like this. I mean, you can pick it out, but I swore I saw uh, one that had two or three pecan, pecan trees in the yeah, a, in the field where they were they were tinging another color. Yeah, I don't know what the what the deal is, but there's that's a pattern that I've seen, and I think it's real. But you asked about foliage feeders. There's a lot of caterpillars out. Uh, a lot of folks have been scouting and spraying, which is you know what we need to do: scout and spray if you need to. Lots of velvet beans, uh, other things out there too. Uh, just you know, scout treat when you need to the uh i was walking in dr prosco's plots yesterday and talking about the weather which i started i was looking at them at 10 o'clock or 10 30 or so and everything looked pretty nice by 12 o'clock it became difficult to rate spotted wilt because the leaves were starting to roll over so can we talk about that for yeah. a minute they were irrigated twice this week Wes. Yeah. so well so that's the thing i wanted to talk about that friend that's the perfect point that I, I neglected to say when we were talking earlier and i'm glad mark brought that up I actually crossed a couple of cases this week of exactly what y'all are saying. The producer feels like they're staying on top of irrigation, staying on top of management, they have adequate water out there, and they're seeing leaf curl every day. Well, so that's that's getting out of moisture stress. That's getting into heat stress, and very little we can do about that. Um, uh, Dr. Plon sent us a very nice response. I'm not going to try to go down the physiology path, but basically we will see what she explained is we'll see leaf curls on two ends of the spectrum of those peanuts in conditions like this. And, and one, I think we're seeing. The other one, I don't think we are. The first one's exactly what uh, Eric and Mark are talking about. We've adequately watered those peanuts. They look good in the morning. Um, you're out there, and then midday, that 11, 12, the two or three o'clock maybe even four or five now if you look our peak heat doesn't really hit till four or five o'clock some days that you see that curl but if you see those rebound and look better you know after five six seven o'clock at night when it cools back off or first thing in the morning we know that that's most likely just heat stress there's not much we can do about that what's happening there is that it's so hot outside that the plant cannot move water through fast
fast enough to maintain. So it's a, it's an auto response to the plant. They basically curl those leaves and shut down because we can't move water through fast enough. We'll see it in cotton also. Um, heat stress again, you'll see a rebound of that at night. The other end of that, again, I don't think we're seeing um, that Dr. Plon uh, responded to this email with is that that's um, that's over water stress. That means that we're sitting in a saturated condition and the roots can't get enough oxygen now. I, across our state right now, man, we may find one or two spots that's the case that somebody has a really high capacity well or caught some rain shower in one of these evenings that were hot and they irrigated on top of it and they've kept them on heavier dirt to saturate it. But I very, I very much doubt at this time of year that we have that case that we're overwatered right now or that we're standing in a saturated right, condition right, causing right. leaf curl. It's on the other end of that. So don't don't look at them and see leaf curl and then also panic. I think some of our producers are doing that. Just like Eric told me, Hey, I've watered them twice this week. Hey, this is not what I'm doing. That's right. Check your moisture in your field. If your moisture is adequate, you're good. Don't go out and just put an additional irrigation on them. If you're just like, man, my leaves are curling. Cause all that's going to do is cost you about, depending on how you're pumping that water, it's going to cost you about $7 per acre and even up to about $20 per acre, depending on how much you put on uh, at that time. And it may be, you may actually reduce yield doing that. Now, if you're already at a right out of adequate moisture so glad you guys brought that up i think that's a critical because i mean anytime we get above 95 degrees we can see this that's right right. and that's why we say 95 is our is kind of our shutdown point where this crop shuts down on us in a way and so you're going to see that Mm-hmm. And and I know it doesn't always match up ambient temperature to actually what the crop is feeling because if you do have moisture, it's able to keep itself a little bit cooler. Mm-hmm. But still, you get to where we're at 98, 99, oh, 100. Then we'll we see it this weekend, right? Yeah, you know, we get back right at that it. 98 plus degree temperatures out there. And remember that the 98 degree, a lot of these temperatures we see when we're measuring those, those are shaded air temperatures, right? If we go look at our weather station, it's supposed to be shaded and not direct sunlight. So you think about what that peanut canopies actually seeing about your point scott yeah we've got moisture in the field and moving moisture through it should be a little cooler around the canopy but at the same time they're direct sunlight right. most of the time right we're going to push those temperatures faster sometimes just depending on what our conditions are so again don't don't fully panic uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna use mark's statement he says every time scout 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 when you're out there scouting check check the moisture in the field and see what it looks like and if you scrape the dirt and look down and there's it's absolutely bone dry as you move down through there and you see all right dust 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 well then we do need to irrigate but most the time you're going to get about that top quarter to half inch of soil off and you're going to start seeing moisture and the deeper you go you'll see more moisture hopefully build your confidence back up you've done what you needed to well, with irrigation while we talk about scouting and talking about things happening in the field all right dr brenneman you you're you're the man of the hour because a lot of people have said white mold is going crazy is that true <laughs> well unfortunately i think it's true <laughs> uh, it is a year for white mold and white mold loves heat it loves alternating periods of wet and dry. We've certainly had plenty of that. And we're seeing underground white mold, which is more difficult to deal with. So yeah, I'm, I'm talking to guys that are considering coming back with more of a high-end white mold treatment. A lot of times people will maybe finish out with a tilt, uh, uh, Teb Bravo, something like that. And that'll do them some good, but you know, your higher-end materials, uh, be it Convoy, be it Elatus, be it Excalia, uh, Provost has pretty decent white mold activity. Uh, those are going to be a step up and do do better to finish them out if white mold is a concern. The big problem is the underground white mold, and that's our hard target to get to regardless of your chemistry. Uh, I would say if you're having a white mold issue and you're considering putting out that extra application, probably the next few days would be a real good time to do it, on dry land especially. 
that you can get out there ahead of these rains, which hopefully come. Uh, that would be one of the biggest things we could have to help us out to get that underground white mold, uh, to get a spray out ahead of the rain and move it down off the canopy. As dry as it is, if you do have underground white mold, uh, or you just have normal white mold, we got a lot of foliage out there, a lot of dense canopy. Do you expect every product to work perfectly? No, and that's a good point. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with underground white mold, man, what a difficult target, especially with the canopy developed this year in a lot of fields. Um, you know, if somebody has a serious problem, I'll, I'll go back to the work we did years ago with night sprays. The single best way to actually try to hit that target would be to spray when the leaves are folded up at night. And the second best way would be to have a rain coming in behind it. So if you can put out a night spray this weekend and have some rain coming in behind that, that would be the absolute best you could do. And even that's not going to be perfect. You know, how far ahead of the rain you can be and still get that wash off? I mean, does it matter? I mean, surely it does. Like people oh, it ask matters. me all the time about yeah. insecticides. And if it's dry with an insecticide, it don't matter anymore, right? But so if I, if I were to spray a fungicide today, if I got rain tomorrow, would that help or is that too late? Yeah, I mean, we looked at that years ago and microplots really tried to quantify it. And it, it's, it's pretty much a, not exactly linear, but the sooner you can get the rain, the better. Right. If you get out to about, I believe the cutoff was maybe about four days or so. Because you do have some time, right? Because I was just thinking, oh, if yeah. I was sitting here looking at this and I'm looking at my forecast and it's supposed to rain on Monday, and I'm like, well, I'm going to spray today. Well, maybe I'd wait and spray them on, I mean, Saturday, Saturday or Sunday, right? right. Would that right. make sense? Or would if you I, just go ahead and do it? If I knew I had a bad underground white mold problem, I was digging it up and finding it. Yeah. The sooner you can spray next to the rain, I mean, the closer yeah. where the rain's coming in right behind it, even spray in the rain. Right. Uh, yeah, because you're not worried about foliage disease at that you're point. Trying you're to trying to get it to the white mold. So if you get automatic wash off, that's perfect. Yep, that's right. The longer it's on there, the more it's going to stay on the leaf, and that would help control your foliage disease. But if your big issue is white mold, you want as much of that material to go right. down. And and in those situations, if you say, well, heck, i got to do both, well, just come back and spray again. And I know people don't want to see that, but right now, white mold is the hardest thing to control under this situation. So you got to it's a it's a lesser of the two evils, right? You gotta control the one you need to control. Yeah, so, it's so, two it's two opposite lines. The sooner it rains, then the less leaf spot control you get. A good average is about about twenty-four hours, eighteen to twenty-four hours. That keeps enough on that leaf for leaf spot control. Generally washes enough down for white mold. So that's kind of the perfect balance if I had to hit a hit a balance. Now uh, and go ahead. I, I was I just gonna ask you because because uh, it kind of relates to Mark in some ways when we talk about thymine and spotted wilt. You know, what are your ex when you spray things like Excalia and Provost that are good on white mold? That doesn't mean you're not going to have white mold, right? So, what are your expect? I guess what are your expectations? I think sometimes a grower might say, "Well, I did two Excalias, and like in my case, and a Provost Silver. I don't think I should have any white mold." Is that an unrealistic expectation? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I've been doing this for a while. I think back to the days we had Terrachlor. And back then, our expectation, if we could get 25 or 30% control, that's about what we get out of the product. Mm -hmm. With these new materials, they are much more effective. 
The sprays are much more effective. Actually, a foliar spray is a really good way to get it down there if you can redistribute it down the stems to the pods. Um, but probably 80, if you get 90% control, and this is relative to the disease pressure, if it's a bad field, short rotation, then obviously you're going to have more residual there. You're not going to be able to get it all. Um, so a good, well-rotated field. I mean, you might get the great majority of it and see very, very little white milk. So this is also not the time that, <clears throat> this is also probably not the time that you go, I got a lot of acres to go over, so I'm dropping down to 10 gallons an acre of water. I should really do the opposite of that, right? If I'm trying to get more product down, you would think 15, 20, 25 gallons to the acre of a carrier would be what you want. Is that not the case or is that what you would think? It does help some. It's not, it's not, and the trials we've done, it has not been as big a difference as I thought it might be. Okay. Um, but I think once under one this thing, kind of pressure, you're right. It's if, not, if, if I can chime in here yeah. for a minute, just on some stuff we've simmer and we've done over the years with the coverage, we know that if we're looking for the best coverage, you know, if we, we increase our water volume, we'll get the best coverage. That may or may not always be better control, but when things are bad, I want more cover. I want as much coverage as possible. We so we know that well, water volume, more water means better coverage. Lower boom height means better coverage. Slower tractor speeds <clears throat> equals better coverage, and hopefully that would translate into better control. It may or may not, but if you want to do the best possible coverage. And then also nozzles, right? So we've done a lot of work with nozzles, and I'm starting to I'm starting to maybe backtrack on some things I used to think because I'm I don't know that it's, let's just call them the dicamba nozzles that we're using for for dicamba sprays that may not be that those drops may be too coarse for some things at least in my world, uh, especially when things aren't right. When weather's not right, weed size on it right, that kind of thing. But getting back to the coverage issue, more water, lower boom height, uh, slow your tractor down, different nozzle. So what about on some of these, you know, fungicides have their own adjuvant stickers in them. Most of them do. But if you're mixing with stuff, say they throw the herbicide in there and they want to throw and they throw an adjuvant extra one in, I mean, does that cause fungicides to stick to the plant more? I mean, do we need to, I mean, have that in the back of our mind that we would need to watch that? I mean, again, I'm thinking of if we're aiming at white mold. Yeah, in general, we recommend no additives, no fungicide, or no surfactants, because uh, all of these products we're talking about for white mold are systemic to some level. And the more, the quicker we retain them on the leaves, we more than we move them into the foliage, they do not move down in the plant. They only have to, the only way they can move down is to be washed down or to be sprayed yeah. down there to start yeah. with. Because that's that's so, I'm glad you brought that up because I've had more and more conversation about well if it's systemic, it's gonna go to the roots. It does not. We do not have a single white mold material that will go to the root from being applied to the foliage, okay. except for being washed down. Okay. That's good for people to know that, you know, they get trapped up in that. We always have to tell them, no, it doesn't go that way. You know, it's systemic. It is pulled into the plant. Yes. You know, but not in the way that you think. And one of the, being a systemic is a negative in terms of being able to control white mold. That's the greatest thing we can back. So is it just move? It's not moving down? It's just like xylem mobile? Is that it's no. going up? 
None of them are Xylem mobile. Mm -hmm. They're all Xylem mobile. They will move up, mm -hmm. which might help you control leaf spot better. So the way Phloem is down, Xylem's up, right? That's so right. they're Xylem mobile. They're Xylem mobile. Okay. Right? So okay. they'll go up, okay. but they won't go down. Yeah. That's good. I didn't yeah. know that, so I learned something today. There you go. Very, about, I mean, I had to spray herbicide, and I needed to spray fungicide, and I was looking at what I was fixing to put in the tank, and I said, crap, I ain't doing this. And I took two different tractors and sprayed the herbicide and then came back and sprayed the fungicide because I was scared of what the herbicide might do to the fungicide or vice versa. So mm -hmm. it's a pain in the butt. And I only had to spray two acres, right? But it was still a pain in the butt. And I knew, I, like, I knew most growers probably won't do yeah, that. that, that no, cool. if I was a grower and I had, I mean, I probably would have said, let's roll with this. I would have called you first to see if I still needed that. Because that. that's probably, you know, that issue right there alone for me is probably one of the most common questions I was that I the morning glories. Is, uh, you know, tank mixes with fungicides, you know, and it's an infinite number of possibilities. Yeah, you know, I try to do as much as I can, <laughs> but there's so many things that go into, you know, how, you know, what time of day, what's the peanut health, you know, all these kind of yeah. things factor into whether or not you're going to have any problems or not. Impossible to know the, the best answer yeah. for that, that any tank mix on any given day. So we get a little bit further. I mean, we're, we're vastly, I mean, moving down the road pretty quick here. I mean, it's, it's getting 115 days on some of these. Glenn, I know you've been getting calls. I've been getting calls on these yellow peanuts and nodules that are going down. So people are trying to figure out, all right, is this manganese? Is this nitrogen? Right. You know, what is it and what do I do yeah. about it? Or do I do anything about it? Yeah. So if you see yellowing just in the top, really concentrated pretty much in the terminal, um, on an 06G, that's probably manganese. Um, so don't panic though, because the good news is it's probably not hurting you much. I mean, like you said, we're 110 days old. That hopefully you got a good, really good crop and it's draining the plant and manganese can't get back down. Um, it's, it's, it's draining, it can't get up to the top. Um, you know, it's not mobile, so it can't send it to the top and they're draining the other way anyway. So um, it, it's not a big issue. What well, shouldn't hurt you hardly any yield. I, I like, uh, I had one case here in Tip County where they had a bunch of yellow in the top at 06G and they made 6,800 pounds. Yeah. So if that's the case, I want yellow on top of all my peanuts. <laughs> what I want. So now, this is not uh, the same thing if, as if we were 60, 70 days old. That's right? right. That's right. Well, you know, they say about, they say about manganese, you got to catch it early, you got to spray it often. And even then, you know, it's a challenge. And, and uh, hopefully, again, it doesn't hurt you that bad. So, you know, a lot of these plants have a lot of growth on them. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're good, healthy plants. They're just a yellow in the top. That is different than if it's nitrogen, it would be yellow on the whole plant. The whole, yeah, all from the, top the whole to bottom. Top, top would be, be yellow and uh, or maybe green in the top because nitrogen is mobile and it can send it to the top. So, um, but I'm not at this stage of the game and this late again, I'm not that worried about it. I mean, we've so if you had a, far. if you had one 110 days that was showing nitrogen deficiency, the plant's big enough that the, it's probably going to fill, pull its nitrogen out of the plant and fill what it needs yeah. to. Correct? It must be temporary, right? Because if it's gotten this far and all of a sudden turns yellow, something happened and it's, and it's yellow. And, and, and we talked about it, you and I talked about it. Um, you know, some of these nodules might be very old. They might have played, yeah. they might just played out. Um, they're, they're done. Um, so um, hopefully there's other nodules on the plant 
some of them that will, will keep it going far enough. But I, I'm just not, I'm not, you know, either of those um, I'm not super concerned about. I'm probably more concerned about calcium, especially on dry land with this dry weather we're getting. Because, you know, the problem with calcium is you can't see it. You know, you're not going to see a leaf symptom, foliar symptom. And when you're going to see it is when you go dig your peanuts. Yes. You're going to see pops. Yes. And and remember, you can have all the calcium in the pagan zone in the world, but if you don't have the water to get it into the nut, we're going we're to get pops. So, um, you know, irrigated, we should be in better shape because we can, we can put some water out there and, and keep that calcium going in the pop. And on dry land, um, you know, don't be surprised if some of these fields that had high calcium, salt test calcium in the pagan zone, where you put chips and mulch or both, uh, might still show some pops just because we're going through this dry weather. Right. And I know a lot of people are beginning, you know, we, like I said, we've been having these pre-harvest meetings trying to kind of get them in line and see what we're, you know, give them an idea of what to expect as we approach uh, maturity. Because we, we still have a lot of people that think that, hey, at 135 days, we're ready to go. We need to dig some peanuts and be done. Um, hey, Scott, I want to go back to the yellow peanuts <laughs> no, just good, real quick because there's a lot of potato leaf hoppers mm-hmm. in peanut fields right now. And I've gotten, actually gotten more calls about them this year than I think I ever have. And they'll do the same. They'll make the tips of the leaf. So they make it look. But it is the tips, right? It's almost always the tips. It's a little different hopper burn. It look, it's got a different look to it. But from the road, it's their yellow peanuts. Yeah. Very often that starts by the field edge. So if you see yeah. a spot by the edge or – like, eh, that looks weird, and it'll spread from there, and it can cover the whole field. So, you know, go look. Yep. And if the insect's there, then that's a – and I've been in some fields over the last week that had a lot of – So if you have – if it's already turned yellow from potato leaf hopper, yeah. are we – Do you spray? If you sprayed, would it make it turn around? It's still going to be uh, yellow, right? They're, they're going to stay yellow. Okay. I don't that's know that I've ever seen any come back from it, but I have seen peanuts that look like a Sprite can. I mean, they were yellow and green right and uh they made 6800 pounds or whatever right so it's it's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination and it's one of those deals where if i if i catch it we want to make sure there's immatures there right if, if the right. nymphs are there the ones that can't fly if you're looking at these little bugs that are crawling around that can't fly then it's probably worth treating them but if they're all adults, I probably wouldn't bother to spray them because they might be gone tomorrow anyway. And that's because that's what they do. Yeah. If they're not reproducing, if they've already reproduced their adults, I would, I'd would i wait and check them again next week. If they've laid eggs and they're immatures, then maybe we spray them. Otherwise, you know, the only thing we're going to, the thing we're going to use is going to be a pyrethroid. And most of our growers are, you know, pretty reluctant to put a pyrethroid on their peanut fields unless it's really, really necessary. And, you know, potato leaf hopper is one of those. We, there's a reason we don't have a threshold for it because it's it doesn't cost you the farm, right? Right. If it right. was causing real significant yield loss, we would know and there would already there would have been a threshold twenty years ago. So. And I've heard you say that about three corner yeah, three cornered uh, hoppers as well, three cornered alfalfa hoppers. Um and then we definitely don't want to do anything in dry land fields for certain. Yeah, you're gonna be really careful right now in dry land fields. Okay. For sure. Just wanna say that one yep. more time. Yeah, say it again. That's since, exactly right. Since you went to Glenn, maybe Glenn, I thought since uh maybe we could bring up that little problem we just saw we won't bring up the county in case the growers listening yeah. we recently had it was a maybe fertility herbicide issue and yeah. then it, it turned out really being a fertility issue so yeah. i'll let, yeah. We'll yeah. let glenn well the, the 
the key was too is that, you know those they, they were coming out of pasture right and that's always you know first thing i hear that i worry about potassium and sure enough uh took them a while to get the soil samples back sample results back and when they got them back some of the lowest i've ever seen even lower in k than bone farm oh, you no. can imagine that <laughs> oh, no. i mean it's like they i think they set a new record but i mean <laughs> and, and the ph wasn't super low but it was below six um the the phosphorus and k were down in the teens i mean and, and you from know. from you know they, they sent the picture to me and glenn and you know of course everybody wants to blame herbicide and I was thinking it looked like a certain herbicide. I said, "Well, let's let's investigate that." And there was none of that involved. And then taking a soil test really hammered it home. So, and you uh, know, once again, the simplest thing, right? Yep, the easiest yep. thing to do is take a soil test. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes. again, we're not miracle workers. I mean, it's too late to help this crop. So they right. say, "Well, do I go out there now?" Well, I mean, you can go out there now. Again, it's not going to help this crop. Yeah, it'll help the next crop. You know, phosphorus and potash aren't aren't that mobile, so you can put them out now. You can put lime out now you'll right. be fine um, but it's not going to help well i didn't ask you what county that was and i'm not going to get you to say it but i had one also that we were at this week that exact same thing walk in the field and it looked very much like potassium and he said well we were we were okay at the level that we were at or i thought he said <clears> that <throat> but the one thing that i think that helped that one make it worse was you pull them up and there's nematodes on the roots yeah yeah, and so if you're low or even close to that low range and then you got nematodes that impair the root, that's going to make it worse, correct? Yeah. yeah. Just the, the other thing about trying to remediate it now is you might you might flare pyrite. And you can't fertilize out of nematodes, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and anything that compromises the root system, obviously, is going to, you know, Reduce your uptake of nutrients, so yeah, um, that, yeah, that so that's a, is not a good mix in that. I mean, yeah. the good news is you could, you could at least you know there's a nematode problem in that field. Don't now. assume just because you grid sampled that you're not going to have a problem because we've been on yeah. many calls. That's right. Yep, that's right. Fields have been grid yep. sampled, and everybody thinks everything's great, yep. but you can find spots in the field where they didn't get the sample from that could be low pH or low potash or whatever. It could right. be where uh, they. Had one little mound of stuff. Well, I did one the other day, and I, I asked them how, how big were the grids, and they said five acres. And again, you know, um, to give Simmer a plug, you know, his his recent uh, research shows that you know you lose you you don't capture the variability with five acre grid like you do with two and a half. Yeah. So that you know that, that even that, on a two and a half, though, you help. can still have. Yeah, sure, I sure. mean it's all about sure. where you take the sample, how sure. you take the sample. Yep, all that right. I mean, yeah, we really recommend starting out with one acre grids to see what variability you're dealing with the very first time you do it. Then you can go to two and a half acres once you know, you know, kind of know what you're dealing with. Right, right. So, in those situations, you're trying to change things for the next year for whatever it is. And if it was that low in potash and you were rotating into cotton the next year, you'd be in a mess, right? Well, the problem is, too, it takes a lot of fertilizer to bring that up because, um, I mean, it, 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 it must have taken a lot of time to get that low. And now, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but it takes about 10 pounds of phosphorus or potassium to bring that soil test unit up warm. Mm. It's not a one-to-one. Everybody thinks, I'll throw 100 pounds out there, my soil test units will go up 100. Right. No, it doesn't work right. that way. Uh, you're mixing an index number with a real number is the problem. But anyway, um, but, you know, I get that question all the time. You know, I got a low pH. Is it, is it too early or, you know, when should I lime? I'm like, right now. You know, it's, it's not going anywhere. If you can, do it yeah, now. Go it ain't, ahead. It ain't going problem. anywhere until you lime. So that's right. The um, and that's that's where stuff like the little GPS units and all that, you know, where you got problems like this, it's little bitty problems. 
you go ahead and just mark them. Why not mark them? Mm-hmm. You know, you got a chance to do it right now when you're seeing it. If you walk away from this and then they do a five-acre grid and they miss it, then you're back in the same thing again. So just just definitely. What about pod rot? Do we have any any problems with pod rot? <clears throat> oh, yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen it yet this year, but I'm sure we will in some places. And that's where any anytime we're adding calcium. any other cations into that pod zone uh, that could possibly compete with uptake for calcium, uh, you can potentially help clear the pod ride. Uh, so okay. So I got one question to ask Dr. Brenneman and Mark. Um, I don't know really. I want to ask it, but I'm going to ask it because we're in the weather situation we are. What about the aflatoxin problem? With the way, if we start getting rains, get hot as hell, get out, get rains, we got all the insecticide damage. I mean, the insect damage in some place. I mean, there's always a risk. I was talking to the grower the other day. I was in his field in 2019. That's the year that things turned bone dry late and hot just like it is this year. And that field we were in, he said the 1st of August was beautiful. It's a non-irrigated field. When he was digging them, you could not pull up a pod that did not have lesser cornstalk borer and or aspergillus flavus visible on it. I mean, it was horrendous. And that went from 1st of August till, I forget when it was, in September he was digging. So yeah, these 100 degree plus days, that week after week, no rain, it's absolute worst case scenario for uh, certainly aspergillus and I assume also lesser specter. Yeah, I mean, Kevin would be the expert on aspergillus, but it certainly is favorable for lessers. The good news is, is that we started out with a pretty high lesser cornstalk borer population for whatever reason, because it wasn't, the conditions weren't favorable, right? It was cool and wet early and we still had them, um, but we've had enough moisture to where there's still some out there, but we don't, it's not like they've been just blowing up all summer and now we've got scalding hot that would have been the worst case scenario is that we had stayed moderately dry and they're just festering out there and there's some still there and if it were to stay dry for a few weeks we could do this exact same thing that we just uh, talked about in 2019 where you went from no damage to we've got lots of lessers i you know hopefully we'll get this rain next week and that won't be this Prosco doesn't want it to rain. <laughs> yeah, so he wants it not to rain. So and you know, I was at this meeting the other day and and <laughs> you want me to cut corn. Yeah, I want yeah, yeah, I want you to cut some. So, you know, I was at a meeting the other day and, and pull corn. We don't and we talked about kind of the the worst case scenario a little bit. And I'll, I'll mention that here in a minute, but I was told I was overly negative. And it's like, no, I'm not being overly negative. Even though I sound like it, I'm not being overly negative. What I'm trying to get you is at least be aware of what potentially can happen. So when it does, I hate to say it, that we're not just overwhelmed with the fact that it just up and happened. There's things that are building here that that can impact us and I just want to make sure that we at least take notion of, notice uh, take note of it and try to at least do everything we can to minimize the the effects and and part of this goes back to the dry land crop right now. Um I know the the Scheller meeting, they had um, a pre-harvest meeting the other day, and I know Chris Balkum did the update for the national group. And 
part of it was providing certified acres and what the crop looked like, and this, that, and the other, but also was what do we think yields are going to be? And you, you know, and I had several phone calls right after that because I, you know, when me and Chris were talking and he asked me what I should throw up there, I, and I tell him, you know, I told him kind of like I tell everybody else, I hate to predict yield, period, because I, I'm going to be wrong most of the time, at least if I don't. But this year, you know, four weeks ago, USDA, USDA, I can't talk this morning. USDA had us at like 4,300 pounds per acre. You know, and then as we go into this dry spell and all that, me looking at what the dry land, I said, for the most part, 3,900 pounds is a great place for us to start. And I would rather us inch that up than start up and come down. And so the reason that you heard me, you know, if you were at that meeting or and you wonder why in the holy world would I say that? Well, you got to look at it. Half our acres of dry land. This dry spell has been statewide with some parts southwest being hit harder in some places. This thing is turned around. So what I mean by that is if we don't catch this rain Monday and Tuesday, I would say that that 3,900 pound looks very, very good. You know, I'm talking 39 to 4,000 pounds. And you got to think, last two years we've made 42 plus, and it's been because our, I mean, a non-irrigated crop has held this the average up. If we can't get there with the non-irrigated crop, I can almost guarantee our irrigated crop is probably not going to max out this year because of the situations that we had. Um, so, yeah, I probably think we're bouncing around that thirty-nine to 4,000 pound range. And then I want to bump it up as I start to see stuff come in. So that's why you heard me say that. Well, I hope um, nobody's betting their farm on your predictions. I hope they're not either. I would hate to know that people were doing that, right? They, they got to understand how these predictions are made. I mean, we're <laughs> there are people. people. There are projections. You can't, you can't win, you can't win either. No, so, so, Scott, you could say somewhere <laughs> between uh, 30, if for everybody, 3,500 and 6,500. That's exactly what yeah. I said. <laughs> That's what I said. Like, yeah. I can't whenever you know, I'm not, I go to a field all the time. But what do you think those are going to make? Could it be 35 and 6,500? You know, and I understand <laughs> these guys. These guys are trying to make projections on how things are going to go with the crop right. itself when they sell it and that kind of stuff. But you got to think. I mean, this this weather situation has tra- changed so dramatically over the last three weeks, <laughs> and it's going to change again. So, well, you like I said, you can't win. Cause if, if you, thank you. If, if you're high, the guy that made less says, "Man, you told me I was going to make more than that." And the guy that makes more says, "Well, you don't know what you're talking about. I made yeah. way more than there." You said, "So, I mean, you can't win." So I need to run too. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Well, you're going, we're going to finish up here. Just say, I, I the, just got um, a couple of comments when you're done about weeds. Just to, whenever you're. Yeah, that's fine. I know it's getting, you know, we're, we're all having to get ready to get things done before we go to the Peanut Achievement Club uh, tonight. And and so, yeah, I just, you know, I just wanted to put that out there mainly because, hey, I understand, but you got to realize from where we're coming from, we can't see everything, but we do see quite a bit. And so what I'm trying to do is just at least brace the situation because I'm afraid some of these dry land crops may not come back with even this rain. Uh, and one rain is not going to do it. Uh, that's the problem. And so we got to change our temps and we got to change our, our, our rainfall. But the other reason that I said that I'm not willing to go 42, 4,300 pounds too is a majority of our crop was planted two weeks late. It bloomed a little bit late. 
And that means that we're going to have to be warm with rain or moisture through September and most of October in order to make this crop. And so that is a long time to try to, you know, at this point, predict a yield situation. Uh, So that's kind of where I'm at. I just want to throw that out there. I do want people to realize, too, this dryland crop, as we go forward, we've been talking about maturity. Maturity at this point looks kind of crazy for this for the April and first of May planting. We've got a double crop on a lot of bit a lot of this crop because it quit blooming in the middle. Uh, you're gonna have to potentially carry this thing more than 140 days. It looks like some of these need to go 150. Now, with that said, I've seen several samples that have come in that look uh, just perfect on 138 to 40 days. And then I had one one from North Florida that actually looked like it'd be 135 to 40. But that didn't miss a lick. I'm telling you, it looked perfect. And he's got some disease issues, so they're going to have to do it a little early. Uh, what I'm, and you know, what I got <laughs> the grower or whatever told me I was being negative of was the dryland acres. I said, you know, at this point, we need to start looking at a dryland at 110 days, 120 days at the latest. And if you are starting to come loose in the hole, we need to really think about going ahead and putting them on the ground once we start to lose a good bit of those. And so that's why I want to make sure, because right now we've got a good crop on all of it. We don't want to lose what we had, whether that's a, you know, a small dryland crop or a great one. We just don't want to lose it. So with that, um, Eric, I'll let you sure, just a, just a couple of comments. Still getting quite a few calls about late season weed control. And when, when I say late season, we are really late, right? So we're really at some point with weeds, you got to Say, you know, I've done all I could probably do. Uh, I want to remind people that we do have pre-harvest intervals for certain products, which you have to pay attention to those. So, for example, Clethodim has a 40-day pre-harvest interval. Classic has a 45-day pre-harvest interval. 2,4-DB has a 60-day pre-harvest interval. Uh, if you were to use Gramoxone in a wiper, uh, that has a 30-day pre-harvest interval. So, we're getting close to, to the point where we would not be able to use any herbicides because we would not have a long enough time uh, to adhere to the pre-harvest interval. So a couple of thoughts. Um, Don't want to count out the effectiveness of gramoxone or paraquat in a wiper, uh, especially for weeds like uh, Palmer amaranth, Florida beggar weed, and coffee weed. It does a good job on those because we've got the height differential between the canopy of the peanuts and the canopy of the weeds. Uh, I want to remind folks too when we're spraying weeds out of if we're spraying weeds that are coming out of the top. I'm looking at some height measurements right here. I got peanuts that are anywhere from 16 to 19 inches tall. So if you got a weed coming out of the top of a 19 inch tall crop. You're not going to get much on that plant to kill it, so uh, that's going to not be very effective. Uh, what I've been telling folks a couple of things, you know, we're still in the window where we could use Paraquat in a wiper if you had that, or a wick if you had that application. Don't don't uh, underestimate the value of mowing. Uh, in a bad situation, we often mow our plots uh, with a flail mower, and that makes the, that takes them from non-harvestable to making it easier to harvest. And then we do have aim. We can use aim about seven about seven days before you dig. You could spray aim to help um, with morning glory control. It doesn't really control morning glory. It turns the vines and leaves brown and makes them brittle. So when you're digging, and break apart, it'll break apart yeah. rather than wrap. But that now, won't do anything for pigweed. That won't. It, it'll turn them. It'll turn it brown. 
but it won't, won't it's not going to make a big right. it's not a, or anything like not, that. not like that not like we would want it to do and um and just remember aim does not really work very well on small flower morning glory. so if you're not sure if you have small flower morning glory or not see your county agent and they can help you identify that or send them a picture or send me a picture because if you use aim and you've got small flower morning glory you just wasted money so with the wipers is gramoxone the only thing you can put through it legally yes mm-hmm. okay that's what yeah. i want to make yep. sure yep. Okay. so and then lastly if i can just jump off the subject of peanuts since we're in corn harvest now just want to remind brokers most of our peanut growers probably have corn once you get your corn off it's a great time of year to control uh, tropical spider wart so just remind you if you got tropical spider wart in your corn fields after harvest you know typically we're going to recommend one of three things either gramoxone 2,4-D or AIM we have to treat those fields twice usually one application is not good enough because the spider wart at this time of year is getting too big another recommendation if you don't have spider wart and you're not planting small grains and you got a bunch of pigweed in there I've uh, been recommending the use of gramoxone and metribuzin as a general uh, broadcast post-harvest treatment. Uh, that does very well on most of the weeds that we have in the field now, as well as give you residual wild radish. And as we've talked So would you, in that situation, would you go in and mow the corn stalks and everything down first and then apply, or would you apply and then... Well, I, I think you could you could do it either way. I mean, running, mowing through the... I think a lot of guys are mowing the corn stalks, maybe mowing some t- okay. cases anyway. Okay. But in, in some of the work that I, larger plot work I've done, I didn't mow them. I just came in and sprayed right over the top, you know. So, it, you know, mowing them, mowing them would help, if, especially if you've got pigweed in there that are you know, two feet or three feet tall. Right. That right. would help because right. it gets harder to control. Uh, but but certainly that would probably be better weed control if you mowed and then allowed a little regrowth to occur and then sprayed as opposed to spraying, you know, maybe four. Because I was thinking about the big ones that four are five or six, out. Four or five or that. six feet tall pigweed, you're not going to control. So there's nothing that you can apply to a pigweed right before it seeds out that'll make the seeds sterile well there is there uh i'm not i haven't been doing any of that work dr culpepper's been working with a group i think out of israel okay. that has developed a spray that that uh would make the seed sterile and they're working on i think the concept has been proven to be true but now they're working on the delivery and how, okay. how that would okay. work but that's going on so there is something in the works that you could apply to plants that would cause the uh, seed to be either abort the seed i'm not exactly sure on what's going on but i know it, it affects the seed and keeps they're either aborting the seed or the seed are not viable right well you I mean we try that's com- we that's can. somewhere yeah. that's somewhere in the process of being developed right now okay mm-hmm. okay right. well good um that's that's always part of the what all of us have questions about of what we do at the very end, mm-hmm. um, and there are some fields that we've you know unfortunately gotten away from us, and we've got to go in and, and take some out. Well, in that um, rain too, we we up until now, right? We sort of had a wet, we had a lot of rain up until it got hot and super hot and dry. So I always remind people what what are your as I asked him about what are your expectations for fungicides? My expectations for herbicides in a wet year are not to last as long as they might normally in a what a, whatever a normal year might right, be. Right, uh, right, right. So it, I would, I'm not surprised in fields where we may have gotten some escapes, especially if you were in an area that got excessive rainfall. Right. And I'm going to just uh, a final comment on maturity. And this is something else that we, um, I mentioned, uh, some of these early fields have been coming in with double crops. We've missed a chunk in the middle. It quit blooming. We didn't know. And so it's been 50% that had good color 
and were already brown and orange. And then we got 50% of the crop that were light yellow to whites. And so we're going to have to push that crop. Now, some of them look perfect. They've not missed a lick. And so you won't know that until we go get a sample. And it needs to be a representative sample. And, and listen here, guys, there's several things that help us at the extension level. Uh, our extension agents cannot do a good job for you unless you bring in the right sample. We need you to bring, I would bring the vines in. You need it three to four places in the field that's representative, three to five plants in each place. Bring them in. You need to pull some some plants out of each one of those, those different representative samples. Um, and you need to pull off all peanuts that you think could go through a combine and be in the basket, every single one of them. If you are one of these people that say, hey, all I'm interested in is the leading edge, and so I'm going to just pull the crown of the plant, guess what we're going to do if we have these fields with double crops? We're not going to see it. And you're going to go, we're ready to go. And then you go and you get a low grade and you go, or or your your poundage is off. You're going to go, crap, what happened? And you're going to start trying to blame it on everything else when, in fact, we were just early. Now, I'm not, again, not trying to say that we do that out there a lot, but I'm just trying to say at this point, it is it is crucial for us to pull all the peanuts that are a viable peanut that you think will make it. Um, we need to pull them off. We need to run them. We need to put them on the board and let's look at them because unless we see the whole story, I can't help you. The agent can't help you um, or the consultant at this point can't help you. So we've got to do a good thing. It is a 180 to 220 pods per sample. If we get 300, 400 pods per sample, what are we going to do in that situation? We're going to we're going to push this whole date issue. We're going to instead of saying it's 21 days, it's going to be 14 days because you're going to push. Uh, you're going to have a lot more than what is in a representative sample, and it's going to overestimate. Um, and so we don't want to do that either. So kind of help us out, um, you know, and try to keep these these samples down to that that 200 mark if we can let us see the vines we need to see what kind of help they're in um, and let's try to understand the other part is if you had a field that you went in and had to add more seed at planting because three weeks after they you know the initial ones come up you saw you had a bad stand and you went in and added more make sure you're telling your your agents or your consultants or whoever that this is a field that I had to replant or add more seed and so that way, if things look a little crazy, we can we can kind of try to work through that. So just some things there to think about. Um, and we hope that we will start to get some rain. We hope we get enough that we can carry this on out. We hope we get the temperatures to stay in the, in the low 90s where we need it to be. And we can finish this thing out at the best uh, or at least the highest level that we can. Um, and so with that, I'm going to say this is episode 39. We do appreciate everybody being with us. Um, we hope you continue to stay with us as we go the next couple of weeks, and we'll bring you another one next Friday. And I do appreciate it, and this is all about a pod. Thank you. Good deal.